Verse 1 there, uh, we see, therefore we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. There's, there's some very interesting language uh, in that verse. Uh, the first thing there is the we. You know, this is, this is a Hebrew writing to Hebrews. That's that we. So you, you see that connection there. Uh, who the author is gives us a little bit of insight who the author is and, and, and obviously the, the, who the target audience is, uh, we already know. But that word, the, uh, the more earnest heed, you know, th- this is a call to pay careful attention. So what the writer is saying, you need to pay very careful attention to what I'm about ready to say. And he's using nautical language, that earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. That, that earnest heed uh, means to tie up. So it's, a, it's in reference to a boat. You're going to tie it very, very securely or else it's going to drift away. And so that's the language there that the author is using in verse 2. I'm sorry, in verse 1. Because he is trying to get the Hebrew people to understand what he is about ready to say. Because in verses 2 through 4, it is, it is just jam-packed. Verses 2 through 4 is jam-packed. So there, there is a, a necessity to call attention uh, to what I'm about ready to say to you. And if we look there in verse 2, and if, you could kind of bookend 2 through 4 in like its own little, tiny little subset, uh, if you will. It says, For if the word spoken through angels proved steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, in other words, punishment for violating, well, what is that punishment for violating? What is he talking about? Therefore, if the word spoken through angels proved steadfast and transgression and disobedience received a just award, just reward, what is that? What, what is he talking about? What is that penalty? What is that spoken word through angels? If you go back to Deuteronomy in chapter 33 specifically, uh, you, you, you can see there, it's, um, I think a lot of times your Bible might call it the, the last message of Moses or the last words of Moses uh, to the Israelites. Well, Moses was actually already dead. And so if you, if you read it, you can tell that the person wrote down what Moses had told him to say because he says, Moses said this to you, and here are Moses' words to you. So it's written in a way that you can understand that Moses probably has already passed on, and this was his final sermon, so to speak, to the Israelite people. And in that, he talks specifically about God coming down to the mountain, and with him came a host. Thousands of angels came with him. The host of angels came with him. So in this delivery of the law to the Israelites, God brought a magnificent show with him. And that word was delivered to Moses, ultimately to the Israelites, ultimately to the Hebrews. And so he is referencing the Old Testament law to the Hebrew people. And so what he's saying there in this is, if every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, how are you going to escape what I'm about ready to tell you? So he is setting the stage to let you know that if that received a punishment, you better understand what's going to happen if you reject what I'm about to tell you. Okay? How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, okay? How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? It's much worse to reject salvation because if you're rejecting salvation, you're rejecting Christ as Lord. And that's, that's what he's trying to get the Hebrews to understand. If you reject 
this salvation of which I'm speaking of, then you reject Christ. And if you're rejecting Christ as Lord, you're, you're, you're lost. You are lost. And so you can see this gentle transition that the author is going to start here from Old Covenant to New Covenant. It, it's just, it, here comes this transition point from Old Covenant to New Covenant. And he says, if we neglect so great a salvation which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord, confirmed to us by those who heard him, God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders, with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. This is the gospel of Christ. So listen to this. The gospel is revealed four times just in this little section. God gave it in Old Testament law. Jesus spoke it. The apostles confirmed it. And then God is at the tail end of it through the Holy, through the Holy Spirit, given signs and wonders to confirm it. So you can see in verses 2 through 4, you've got four examples. He is giving you four examples of why you dare not reject this salvation. Because God spoke of it. Jesus spoke of it. The apostles confirmed it, and it's sealed by the Holy Spirit's works. All that is jammed right there. So why is it such a great salvation? And, and you know, I, I cannot, there's, a, there's many, many people that speak so much more eloquently than me, and, and I can't even say the word eloquently. That's why I know there's people that speak more eloquently than me. Uh, I want to read this to you, and it's in reference to verse uh, 3 there. It says, what is this great salvation? Why, why, does, why does the author of Hebrews speak of this rejection of such a great salvation? And the writer says this, what he's saying is this, don't neglect being loved by God. Don't neglect being forgiven and accepted and protected and strengthened and guided by Almighty God. Don't neglect the sacrifice of Christ's life on the cross. Don't neglect the free gift of righteousness imputed by faith. Don't neglect the removal of God's wrath and the reconciled smile of God. Don't neglect the indwelling Holy Spirit and the fellowship and friendship of the living Christ. Don't neglect the radiance of God's glory in the face of Jesus. Don't neglect the free access to the throne of grace. Don't neglect the inexhaustible treasure of God's promises. This is the great salvation. Neglecting it is very evil. Don't neglect so great a salvation. You know, you, this author isn't adding to the Bible, but boy, does he do a really good job of explaining what the author is saying by, what is this great salvation? That It's the gospel of Christ. It's what God has mercifully and graciously given to you through Jesus Christ. That's why you don't reject it. All of those beautiful gifts that come from a life in Christ, don't dare reject it. Let's go here into verse 5, because verse 5 is going to dovetail back into chapter 1. It says, For he has not put the world to come of which we speak in subjection to angels. Remember, chapter 1 was almost exclusively about angels and why Jesus is greater than the angels. But one testified in a certain place saying, and then he is going to quote Psalm 8, verses 4 through 6, and this is speaking of mankind. And in verse 8 he says, You put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he put all in subjection under him, 
He left nothing that is not put under him, but now we do not yet see all things put under him. You know really what that verse is saying to you there in, in, the, in the latter half of verse 8 is we don't fully see our reward. We don't, we don't see it yet. You don't. But he doesn't, he doesn't stop there. He doesn't stop the Hebrews and, and, and kind of leave them hanging on a cliff. He, he uses the word but and connects it. He says, but we see Jesus. So, you may not be able to see your full reward. But what do you see? What do you have right in front of you? What was told to you by God in the Old Testament? What was spoken to you by Jesus Himself? What was confirmed by the apostles? And what was wrapped up in the works of the Holy Spirit? Jesus. That's what we see. Who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor that He by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. You don't see the reward, but you certainly see the one who provides the reward. And what a comfort that is. What a comfort that is for us as believers. In verse 10, For it was fitting for Him. I love that. It was fitting for Him, for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory. I love that. In bringing many sons grace, right there. In bringing many sons to glory. There's, there's grace right there for you. To make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brothers. What, how wonderful is that? How wonderful is that? Not only does God bring us to glory, He's the leader of our salvation. That's the term that captaining, captaining your salvation. That, the captain's out front. He, he's the one out front. He's the one leading the army. He, he's captaining our salvation. He is unifying us. Unifying us. Because He sanctifies, and those who are being sanctified are all of one he unifies us as one and finally he calls us brothers why does he call us brothers and you can see in the verse 12 he says this i will declare your name to my brethren in the midst of the assembly i will sing praise to you why does he call us brothers why does he do all those things what's the end game what's the end game there I will sing praise to you. You see how it's going right back to glorifying God? That's wonderful. It's wonderful. He calls us brothers to give glory to God. Uh, And that's that's, uh, Psalm 22.22 there is what the the writer of Hebrews in verse 12 is quoting. And then he's going to quote Isaiah chapter 8 in verse 13. He says, I will put my trust in him. And again, here I am in the children whom God has given me. The culminating declaration of His humanity and deity as He stands before the God, and the, before, the, before the throne of God. Here I am in the children whom God has given me. Now, He's going he's gonna to take that thought and He's going to start rolling it into the idea of the high priest. So here is Jesus Christ standing before the throne of God saying, Here I am, and here are the children you've given me. So he, he, he is going to take that role of leading worship before God. 
Look at verse 14. He says, In as much then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and releases those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Verse 14 and 15, again, are a repeat of the gospel. Think about that for a second. Look at verse 14 and 15. It is a, it is a repeat of the gospel. Do you, do you want to know who you were and what you were and what he did for you and what he rescued you from and where you're at right now? Verse 14 and 15. You were human. You were a partaker of flesh and blood. And what did he do for you? He became. He lowered himself to that. He lowered himself. Why? That through death, through death he might destroy. He died for you. And what did he want to destroy? Him who had the power of death, that is the devil. He nullifies the work of Satan. He came down, robed himself in flesh and blood for the sole purpose of dying for you so that you would no longer be trapped under the bondage of Satan. And verse 15, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. You're now free. What are you free from? You're free from slavery of the fear of dying. That's what you're free from. You know, what a fitting verse as we think about our sister, Ellen. You know, she had no fear. No fear. Her family, no fear of bondage of slavery to death. None. What a, I mean, it's certainly sad when you lose someone, but there is great joy Great joy in that. All right, let's, let's keep going here. For verse 16, For indeed he does not give aid to angels, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham. You know, that, that, that verse 16 rehashes chapter 1 again. What, what God, God isn't gifting and giving to the angels. He, he is to his people, though. He is to his people. So therefore... In all things he had to be made like his brethren that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest. Now again, there is some Old Testament language there. What did the high priest do? What did the high priest do for the people in the Old Testament? Think about that. He interceded. Right. He interceded. So look what he is doing. He is being merciful and faithful, and it's capitalized for a reason as high priest because he is the greatest high priest. Absolutely the greatest high priest. And things pertain to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Man, that is, guys, that, 
That's wonderful. Not, not only did he robe himself in flesh, he took on the role as the high priest, as the captain of your salvation. He, he himself was that sacrifice. And that is, that is why and things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. That's why he can do that. For in that he himself had suffered being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. You know, if you were to go uh, to Matthew chapter 4 and verses 1 through 11, it would speak specifically of the, of the temptation of Christ there uh, in that chapter. You know, when Christ was tempted uh, with everything, everything, promised everything, given everything, but in his humanity, he never once sinned. Why? Why is that? It's because he was fully God. He's fully God. Because he knew what he needed to do. He needed to live a life of obedience so that he could die a perfect death. So he could be the propitiation for our sins. Because there was no sacrifice that could be made that would cover the cost of our sins. The high priest in the Old Testament was done over and over and over again. How much blood was shed in the Old Testament times? I mean, reading the, reading the book of Leviticus is gory. It's gory. When you, when you go through the sacrifices and what had to be sacrificed, how it had to be sacrificed, how, how much had to be sacrificed, just to cover minute sins, let alone large sins. Now, later on in Hebrews, he's going to talk about being things being taken out of the camp, like Jesus was taken out of the city. Um, and again, that's Old Testament language there. We, we won't get to that, but I encourage you to, to read on in, in Hebrews where you can see imagery where he is comparing that, that sacrifice that had to be drug out from the midst. That, that's what was happening. Jesus was being drug out of the midst of the camp. We're going to keep going. We're going to keep going. Mainly because I want to. Oh, so... Let's look at chapter 3 here. We're going to start here in chapter 3, and I'll, I'll go just, just a little bit longer. Just a little bit longer. So, there is a warning in, in this verse in chapter 3, right off, the, right off the bat. Okay? Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus. So, th- this, this, is, this is a continuation of that line of thought, and that's why I want to keep going there. There was no high priest in all the camp of Israel that could ever withstand the temptation that Christ did. They were humans. They were sinners. They had to offer up sacrifices before they could even go to offer up sacrifices to atone for their own sin, let alone the sins of the people. Christ never had to do that. He never had to do that. And I love this this language here where he says, consider, he's telling you to think. Stop and think. Think about the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him who appointed him. You know, follow this along. Who was faithful to him who appointed him, as Moses also was faithful in all his house. His house meaning the people. Okay? For this one 
has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. Why? Inasmuch as he who built the house has more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone, but he who built all things is God. Who is Jesus? He is one with the Father. So if you look at verses 3 and 4, if you want to know what the difference is, Hebrew people, Moses was a part of the house. Jesus built the house. That's the difference. Moses was a part of what Jesus had built. And Moses indeed was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which would be spoken afterward. And again, that's a reference. That's a reference to the law. But Christ as a son over his own house, whose house we are, if we hold fast the confidence and rejoicing of the hope, firm to the end. And this is why he's counted more worthy. Look at the language in verse 6. But Christ as a son over his own house. And where are we? We are in that house. We are that house if we hold fast to the confidence and rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. This is why he is counted more worthy. He's the son. It's why he's counted more worthy. So what is our response? What's our response there in verse 7? Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says this, and this is Psalms 95. <clears throat> notice, notice who the writer attributes the Psalms authorship to. Uh, that, that's something, sometimes we can brush by that. Don't brush by that. Who, who's the writer attributing the Psalm to? The Holy Spirit. He's, he's attributing it to God. Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion in the day of trial in the wilderness where your fathers tested me, tried me, and saw my works forty years. Therefore I was angry with that generation and said, They always go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. So there's a call to faithfulness in that psalm. It's a call to worship in that psalm. And it's written by the Holy Spirit. So what's our response to that? Well, there's three things in the next three verses that he tells us. Verse 12 says, Beware, brethren, lest there be any of you any of you, an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God. So the first thing we need to be doing there is, it's a warning. He says, Beware. Beware that any of you, an evil heart or unbelief and departing from the living God. The second thing he says there is, but exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Exhort, exhort one another. Verse 14 says, for we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. So we are being called to hold on. Hold on. In verse 15 he says this, today if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. In verse 16, for who having heard rebelled? Well, indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt led by Moses? Now with whom has he now with whom was he angry forty years? Was it not those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? 
And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey? And his rest, guys, that's, that's, that's the eternal Sabbath. That's, that's that, what that means there. That's the eternal Sabbath. Eternity of rest. So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Guys, there, there is a call for faithfulness. And chapter 3 is going to end just like it began if you're a partaker If you're a partaker of the one who gives rest, then hold fast. Hold fast. If you are a partaker of the one who gives rest, then hold fast. All right. I know that that was an extremely rapid chapter two, chapter three, and I I do apologize uh, for that. But but just a couple things that I I do want. just to make sure that we, we do remember. There, there is a call. And the call is from heaven. And the call is to show you the way. Well, what is that way? Who? It's Christ. And, and, and what the writer there is saying that you know Moses was faithful to God, well, so is Jesus. Both were faithful to the people of God. They both were servants. But Christ is the Son, Hebrew people. So don't look to Moses. Don't, don't, don't look to the law. Look to the Son. And that, and that is where he's, again, gently calling them to faithfulness to Christ. And he's going to continue that into chapter 4, where he's going to continue the idea of rest and what rest is and what it looks like uh, for these people. And he's going to continue on with the priesthood. He's going to go back and readdress that. Uh, so we will... We're going to dive into chapter 4 next week. Probably some of chapter 5 next week as well. Maybe even chapter 6. I don't know. We'll see, we'll see what happens. But it, it, it's going to be, a, it'll be another, another fast brush stroke. And I, again, um, I think if there was an hour, we could probably spend it on just a couple verses, let alone an entire uh, two chapters, a couple chapters. But uh, with that, why don't you guys take out your prayer sheets and we'll go over that.